Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Hello and welcome back to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders, made in Australia and distributed all over the world. It's great to have you here with me on The Shed Wireless. If you're new here, let me explain. We like to chew the fat about sheds and tools. We also throw in a few traveller's tales and life stories. You're guaranteed a laugh or two and you might even get some ideas from other shedders. We'll also have a little dose of health to keep us all ticking along. You can jump right into past episodes in any order you like. You can find them all at www.menshed.org forward slash The Shed Wireless or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's what you can look forward to in this episode. For our special guest, I was humbled and inspired to chat with 2022 Senior Australian of the Year, Val May Dempsey. Val has racked up 50 years of service with St John Ambulance and is a self-proclaimed men-shed widower. Gee, what an incredible woman Val is. Our shed in the spotlight is Gigigannup Men's Shed, just outside of Perth in Western Australia. President Bruce and I chatted about the shed born out of devastating fires just last year and their most recent recognition in the 2022 Resilient Australia Awards. Butch and I are back on the road heading north for a little spot of fishing and in Asterdoc AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance had a realistic chat about what's on your plate with Uncle Toby's nutrition ambassador Kathleen Allum. Are your eyes bigger than your belly? I'm picking up a few tips on tweaking my plate coming into the Christmas season. Maybe not so much ho, ho, ho. And of course, Rip Woodchip nails it again. He'll drop by with another of his philosophical musings. Let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world Get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. I'm speaking to a very special, special guest today. Val Dempsey was this year recognised as the Senior Australian of the Year for her over 50 years of dedicated voluntary work for the St John Ambulance Service. Val is one of the ACT's longest-serving volunteers and year after year, She still dedicates more hours than any other volunteer. Her husband is a shedder and she has seen firsthand the impacts of men's sheds for men and their communities. Welcome, Val. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me with you all today. It's been such a pleasure to have this invitation. Oh, you know, I I mean, I'm, I'm very humbled to be actually talking to you. You're a very, very special person, Val. Um, when you were awarded the Senior Australian of the Year, the chair of the National Australia Day Council said, and I quote, Val Dempsey embodies the Australian spirit of volunteering. She has donated her time to the service of St John Ambulance for more than half a century, helping countless Australians. Gee, Val, you would have really seen some stuff over 50 years of volunteering to help other people in their times of need. Tell us about some of your experiences. Well, it's uh, been an interesting time. I look back across all of the years 
from when I first started volunteering. And those first few years were very <laughs> humble beginnings. But let me tell you, we're, we're in the middle of humble moments again right now. One often looks back and sees really important moments. But every single day in everybody's life, there are completely important moments. And when you think back across all the years and you try and bring up those important moments, I often think that what I've done last week has overshadowed what I've done last year and overshadowed what I've done in the previous years because every moment that I spend in volunteering seems to me to be such an important moment but more than that, it's an honoured privilege to have that ability and that opportunity. But yes, over the years, there have been so many. I mean, from disasters to simple things like going out to the local picnic area and seeing barbecues blow up and children damaged to road accidents to doing life-saving CPR. But more importantly, in these last few years, is being able to be just there for the community, going up to Lismore on two separate occasions to be with flood-ravaged community up there. It was an enormous task. And the only thing they asked of me was that I could sit with them and listen. And that was really an eye-opener because you go there prepared to do this marvellous thing called first aid and sometimes we forget just sitting and listening can heal and mend hearts and that was that was a really tremendous moment but also too going down to all the fires that ravaged New South Wales and down into Victoria fires that ripped through Kangaroo Island and tore apart communities over there Oh. And here, yes, and here yet again we see more floods going into Victoria and quite frankly I'm thinking there will be a phone call. I really do. Oh. I mean, I, I went to Kangaroo Island shortly after the fires um, and it, it, it was incredible. It was, a, it was a terrible, terrible thing that happened to them down there. And, of course, uh, as, it, as it happened to a lot of communities, what inspired you to become a volunteer with St John? Well, as a very young girl, I'm one of five children, the last child being born quite late, but I'm the second of the five children, and the other lot were three boys. Oh, my Lord. Now, <laughs> if, you, if you grow up with three boys, you wag school, you climb trees, you do all the things that the boys do or you don't, or you don't get to play. Um, but one of our neighbours used to go out on a weekend in a beautiful white uniform with lovely white gloves and crisp, beautiful, shiny shoes with a hat on and Mr Grey stockings only, girls. That's from Woolworths. Um, and she would go out at the weekend after serving and working all week as a nurse. She would go out to our local swimming hole which was about 20 mile out of town and she had a little old Morris Minor where the indicators, when you put them on, they, they lift up from the side door jam and flash as you go yes. around corners. And we would trudge out to the local swimming hole and there she taught me what it means to provide service before self. 
the kindness and that opportunity. Oh man, if I could drum up anybody that might have fallen off the uh, you know the swing or the seesaw, I was in there like Flynn. I was really, really anxious and really right on top of it. And I have to tell you, that hasn't ever left me. Oh. And uh, indeed, it just you know look I, honestly, I've tried to shower it off. I've tried to get rid of it. I've I've often said, no, I've had enough of this, but guess what? It just doesn't leave you. And yeah. that moment where you have that opportunity to be kind and to be open and honest with other people, to offer them what they need in their moment of tragedy, in their moment of crises, without once asking what it might cost you. And the idea of being able to do that Sadly, we've only just recently lost the most magnificent person who has shown all of us how to provide that service before self. And I have to say, it really does honour her memory to mm -hmm. place her at the top of the list of people who know how to dedicate themselves to others. Wow. How did the organisation start, Val? The organisation of St John Ambulance has been around for probably um, over, yeah, I think we've had about 150 years in Australia, but it goes way back to the age of the Crusades where um, English people went off on a crusade, off over into the Middle East, fighting under the cross and wanting to eliminate uh, people over in uh, the cities that were holding Jerusalem. And so there were knights and there were bishops and there were abbey holders. And along the way, they they were a bit, a bit warlike, I have to say. They weren't always, you know, um, knights of um, valour and um, bandaging people. They were, they were a pretty feisty lot. Right. But along the way, there was damage done. And so... The hospitaliers did start. And so we've been known for a long time as providing that care and comfort to humanity. And it has been reinstated through the Victorian times. And here we are today with St John Ambulance around Australia doing a marvellous job in all the categories with all young kids coming into our fold now, learning how to provide exactly that and gaining experience. We have um, ambulance uh, students, nursing students, and other healthcare workers coming along, and they are learning their trade, learning their professional moments that they can gain experience by providing first aid and being on duty through this marvellous organisation that does promote this idea of service before self and actually learning the ropes. And we're delighted, I'm constantly delighted by the new faces that I see wanting to come along and join in. Oh, that's great. I mean, Ed, it certainly does, uh, you know, I know when I go to sporting events and things like that and you see St John Ambulance, um, it's a very comforting feeling seeing those people. It really is. What's been, what's been your biggest challenge, Val? I think perhaps digging deeply inside myself during the COVID crisis. Uh -huh. um, in this respect, as a, I'm still a registered nurse, I've been nursing for many, many years. 
And during the COVID crisis where one couldn't leave the house if you had somebody ill, mm. there was a call, there was literally a call to arms and the Department of Health here in the ACT put the message out and through our organisation, and mind you, staff from Qantas, staff from SES, staff from the fireys, police, they all arrived to put their hand up to do voluntary work and to come in and man the phones. We had what was known as a critical incident day where there were thousands of calls and they were tended to by people like myself who came in and provided that care, answering the phones and working out on a computer um, how to deal with individual cases. It was really critical. Now, I have to tell you, for a very long time, I didn't even know how to turn a computer on. I didn't know what a cursor was. I had no idea. And yet, <laughs> and yet they wanted me to work on two screens. I said, what on earth? Isn't that somebody else's screen? <laughs> so it took, it took them two weeks to really help me settle in and um, rem uh, write down all my passwords and those sorts of things. And yep. the learning curve for me was enormous. Oh, but I didn't know that I had that in me. And so here's the most enormous challenge where I can help a community in the role of a volunteer with my nursing background to be able to take calls from people who were in such desperate situations. Yeah. And here am I on the end of the phone saying, hello, Val speaking, ACT Health. Um, how can I help you today? And it was, it really placed myself really in that position where I had to dig deep. I had to learn a lot of new things, especially about what services were available there at that moment, that critical moment when people needed help. And I did that for over six months. And I truly, I truly did believe that we made such a difference and my cohorts, my friends, my other Johnnies, one of them was an 80, is an 86-year-old gentleman and he gave the most amount of hours and he too, like me, was struggling with the computers in the beginning. Yeah. But he, he did it and I said, why do we do this? And he said, you know, Val, I think we make a difference. And it was that moment, that time, I've been through an awful lot with um, St John, been faced with some really horrific situations, but the compassion and the learning curve that one had to dig deep to find, to be able to deliver that over the phone to people who you've never met, that I think was really a very big challenge for me personally. Oh, it's such a heartwarming story, Val. Now, you also have a very special connection to the men's sheds. How long have you inadvertently been part of the men's shed community and when did your husband, Lindsay, join the shed? <laughs> well, I proudly say I've been a men's shed widower for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it truly is um, one of the most remarkable things. When I was asked to speak at the, at the men's shed meeting and I spoke to the CEO of your organisation, it was, can you tell us about your experience and I said well truly um, it's rather like a mechanic and their car 
which is the worst car you see on the road? Well, of course, it's the mechanic that never looks after his own car. Correct. And so, and so I look around my house here and I, I can see the gardening and the, you know, the pruning and the trees and the lawn mowing. I must say he does keep up with them as best he can. But <laughs> honestly, I have to tell you, the men's shed get the best of him. <laughs> and it has been, it's look, it's been wonderful. And the reason being is I can absolutely say without a doubt that the mental health of men as they are growing older, as they're leaving their work place where they've had companionship, where they've had other people around them for all their life, apart from their family, apart from their missus, apart from being at home and enjoying the company of your family, people are so used to waking up in the morning and leaving that situation and going to their other family, which yeah. is their work situation. Yeah. And if you haven't prepared yourself mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, some very serious problems can arise in feeling that despair with loss and grief. And I do believe that the Men's Shed, as being such a lovely, strong organisation, has been paramount in lifting men's mental health. Men need to be with men, just as women need to be with women and do secret women's business. So do, so do men. And I think the men's shed has provided that golden opportunity for some men to continue to be in male company doing men things. Now, I don't know what they are, but, and I don't think I want to know what they actually do, all I see is a happier, more settled man coming home to the house and who is pretty miserable when the shed isn't open. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, God, that's incredible. You've got such an understanding of it. Do you get on the tools at all, Val? Um, look, I do, but my tools are a sewing machine. Uh -huh. And the reason why I mentioned that is I've been away from everyday work I've been away from my general work for a number of years. And when Lindsay was so terribly unwell and he couldn't go to work, he had to retire from work very early. And that's why I'm talking about the loss of maleship is yeah. that, you know, I've seen that process. But while I've been watching that, I too have been um, looking after myself with keeping busy. So I um, like to fiddle with um, pretty things. So... I make quilts and they go to nursing homes for people who have no family. Oh, and I, God. Yeah. And you I, do everything. You do absolutely everything. Now, you deservingly rub shoulders with an incredible group of Australians recognised in the Australian of the Year Awards. Who was your hero? Do you know there were 36 people sitting in a room with their dearest and nearest mm -hmm. And they were sitting in that room waiting for four people to be lifted above them. Out of that 36 people, four people were chosen. When I stood on that stage and received that amazing award, I looked at the other people, the recipients from across Australia, and I listened to their stories over the previous um, four days and sat with them and had a chance to know them and 
a chance to hear their stories and what they have been doing. I really felt very humbled because they are all my heroes. And I can say, honestly, when you're sitting at dinner, when you're going out to dinner, when you're in a board meeting, when you're in your church congregation, when you are out with a group of people, turn to the person on your right and just think about three things that make you happy to be in their company. And looking across that room full of people, I can't possibly believe that I shone any brighter than any one of them in what they do. They are all magnificent. Oh, you're such a darling, Val. You really are. Now, you were recently part of the Australian contingent selected to attend the Queen's funeral. What an amazing time that would have been. Well, it really was. Um, I was at a birthday party for a friend of ours and we were out some 35 kilometres out of town where phone reception really isn't the best. But out of respect, I turned mine down and it was um, in the bag on my lap and listening and enjoying a lovely afternoon. <laughs> and my lap kept vibrating and I thought, what's going on? What's going on? And so in the end, I excused myself and went out. And it was a call from a lady called Charmaine who left a message and said, hello, this is Charmaine from the Prime Minister's office. I need you to contact me urgently on this number. And I turned to Lindsay out of the middle of nowhere. My daughter was with us. And I said, Lindsay, I think I'm going to London. <laughs> and she said, are you kidding me? And I said, no. I said, the Prime Minister's department is trying to ring me. I don't think it's a scam and I don't think I've been a naughty girl anywhere. <laughs> he said, well, we better go back into town and ring her up, love. <laughs> and from there it just escalated to me being fortunate enough to have ticked all the right boxes and onto the plane we went. I went with all, with all those magnificent other people and away we went. Up into the plane, this very big jet, Mr. Prime Minister's jet, down, walking down, we climbed the stairs, we walked down the plane. On the left were ministerial rooms all, all closed off and the, and the windows on the right, down through first class where the press was. And then they stopped me and said, oh, you're, you're in this area, which was lovely. Um, and then down the back again, it was all of the uniformed um, personnel, defence personnel. Yeah. So off we go, we're flying away, and Mr Albanese comes in and says, so how's it going, kids? <laughs> and he had his shoes and socks off. I have to tell you that secret. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we said, we're great. And he said, well, nice to have you on board, and off he went. Oh. So we landed in Singapore and uh, to a lovely reception in the diplomatic area and to have downtime of two hours. And so that took about nine hours to get to Singapore. And all I said was, well, that was pretty cool. Nine hours over and done with. Great. What's happening next? Oh, you've got eight hours to fly on to Dubai. And I <laughs> yeah. said, well, let's just face it like we did the last lot. That's only a trip just across the way. So off we go again. And that was pretty cool. And we landed in Dubai. And again, we left the plane. i got to tell you, fresh dates in Dubai. Oh, my gosh. And 
beautiful flavours and Turkish coffee. Boy, did I wake up. Woo! <laughs> Lovely. And then somebody showed me on a phone um, some photos of what looked like two salt and pepper shake uh, uh, tops. And I thought, oh, all right, what's that? And they said, that, my dear, those are the pyramids. I said, you've got to be kidding. And he said, um, well, I'm showing you that because sometimes, just sometimes, sometimes the flight path could go over there. So I'd actually got Lindsay on the phone and I told him about that. And he said to me, why don't you ask your mate, Mr. Albo, to fly over the pyramids? I said, oh, hang on a minute. Why don't you ask him? So I took the, I took the phone to Mr. Albanese. I said, hang on a minute. Sir, Lindsay wants to talk to you. And, uh, and he said, is she like this after three bottles of champagne all the time? And he, Lindsay answered, of course not. It only takes half a glass. <laughs> but here we are. And, and Lindsay said, Val tells me you're going to fly over the pyramids for her. And, of course, he stumbled and ummed and ahed and thought, gosh almighty, that's a bit awkward. But anyway, the goodbyes were said and back on the plane and they feed you and then the lights are out and you get in your jammies and you're laying there. And I don't know how long later it was, but I think halfway along the trip somebody said, quick, wake up, wake up, get Val. Go and get Val up, get Val. And I'm sneaking down underneath the blanket so nobody could see me because I thought, what have I done now? <laughs> get Val up, get Val up. So they got me up and they said, Mr Albanese said, go and stand at the window. I said, what? He said, look out the window. Oh. And there they were. There they were. I saw the pyramids. Oh, that's what a delicious story that is. That is just fantastic. Well, I tell you, the end of that was that I turned around in my jammies, all of the security doors were open right down to his office, and I took off along that corridor and I found him and I said, You bloody well did it, mate. <laughs> and he said to me, Val, did you see the pyramids? I said, Did I? What? I said, Lindsay will probably even vote for you now. <laughs> Oh, that's that's an amazing story. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, so we were fortunate. We went to London and we did we did go to the funeral, and it yeah. was the most amazing experience. Truly, oh, yeah. it really was. How humbled and how grateful am I that I was honoured in such a way? Oh, I, Val, you deserve everything you get, absolutely, and more. You're an incredible class of Australian. Uh, uh, in an incredible class of Australians making amazing contributions to our country. As part of the Men's Shed community, we know firsthand the value of volunteers and the passion and devotion to community that goes into volunteering. Thank you so much for all that you do and thanks for dropping by to chat with us on the Shed Wireless. Val Dempsey, Australian of the Year, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very kind. Um but, you know, hello to everyone out there who's listening on this particular broadcast. And don't forget that every time you think somebody else is special, have a look in the mirror and think about what you do for your community. You'll be very surprised that you'll have a lot of answers. Oh, beautifully said, Val. Thank you so much for, uh, for being with us on The Shed Wireless. It's been an absolute pleasure. And from Lindsay and my brother Bill, and myself, we thank you sincerely for the opportunity. 
Oh, you're a lovely lady. You really are. Okay, thanks again, Val. Okay, cheers now. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. G'day, you mob. This is Ernie Dingo, and you're on the Shared Wireless with my mate, John Paul Young, or JPY, or I don't know what other letters we're going to call him. But don't forget, fellas, if you don't have a hammer, use a screwdriver. Here's something for you at the Midship. Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. Our shed in the spotlight today takes us northeast of Perth to the town of Gidjiganup in Western Australia. Uh, this relatively new shed has achieved some big things since starting up, recently being recognised in the National Resilient Australia Awards. A big welcome to Bruce, the president of the Gidjiganup Men's Shed. Hello, Bruce. Good afternoon, John. Can you tell me how the shed came about? Uh, well, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting story, John. The um, uh, within the Perth Hills in the beginning of 2021, there was a devastating bushfire, and it ran from um, a suburb called Wooroloo all the way into Perth's outer suburbs on the floodplain. Um, on the coastal plain, I should say, the um, Ellenbrook suburb. So there was 11,000 hectares burnt. And in the aftermath of that bushfire, the um, local councils um, coordinated and formed a recovery group, a recovery committee. And one of the conclusions that came out of um, studying the services that were available in our area of the hills was that there was no uh, men's support group um, and the closest men's shed uh, that provided that kind of function was um, more than half an hour drive away. So there was a, a call from that recovery committee to, to see whether there was any guys in the neighbourhood that were keen to um, um, coordinate together and to start the movement towards setting up a men's shed. So that was, um, yeah, that was how we, was, we started back in, um, that was a meeting that started in August, um, uh, sorry, June 2021. So basically as soon as the fires were un under control? Well, the fire ran through in February 21 um, and that uh, the committee was formed immediately after that. And by June, they realised that there needed to be um, some broader support networks established. And so that's what the suggestion brought to this idea of um, testing who was in the, in the um, suburb and willing to get involved. So that led to about 13 of us getting together in June and uh, very much deciding that we thought this was a great idea and that there was a lot of um, people that would benefit from it. Um, we are in a different community, being on the city fringe and predominantly on acreage blocks. So most of our members live on between five acres and 400 acres. And so um, the, the, what that, what the, the situation that creates is that there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time on their own properties and most of these people 
have their own shed facilities and are pretty busy with um, 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 outside work in maintaining and, and running their hobbies on the, these properties. Um, and so the, the, the risk is that there's uh, uh, increased social isolation that's created and it's just amplified in the recovery from a bushfire because there's so much to do. So what does a typical day look like at Didjigannup Men's Shed? So we're, yeah, we're still really in the process of um, running two streams. One is the um, uh, creating activities in a temporary shed that we've been offered from City of Swan and trying to build up activities that build our membership um, whilst at the same time we've got a group of guys focused very much on um, uh, uh, trying to get together plans to build a new facility uh, at, at the temporary shed that we're borrowing from the local ag society or agricultural society is um, is a huge plus for us but it's a very small shed and, and there's no way it goes to our um, requirements to run a men's shed style workshop so we've got a new construction project right. running in parallel or, or planning and, and um, organizing towards that so yeah uh, the men's shed is actually uh, working on their own shed at the moment the, the whole prospect of, of building your own shed correct and that really means that we're spending a lot of time with the local city city of swan um, in their planning department and also their operations teams to work out um, firstly select a location where we might be able to build a shed um, and to get uh, clarity on what permitting is required what they'll offer us in terms of support um, together with um, working with a panel of sponsors and the government representatives to try and get the new build shed funded right now, I'll just explain to the, the listeners that the Resilient Australia Awards, they're sponsored by the federal government in partnership with the states and territories to celebrate and promote initiatives that help communities rebound from adversity, as well as recognising images that capture resilience in action. Now, that's a pretty huge honour for this shed to receive. What does that mean to the members of the shed? Well, one of the things we did, John, early on, um, was that our committee did a tour of um, almost a dozen, 11, I think we got through, plus a fire brigade, um, existing men's sheds in and around Perth. And we were setting out to consolidate what it takes to run a good men's shed and what are the lessons learned from other sheds that have uh, recently built new facilities. Um, so we learnt a hell of a lot in that exercise and that took us probably six months to um, um, compile a knowledge base of what it takes to run a good shed. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, we surveyed our membership that was um, the, the list involved last year to work out what kind of activities people were interested in. And so we've very much been trying to establish activities out of our temporary shed that are um, sufficiently interesting and engaging for people who are already pretty active on their own properties, um, but perhaps not interacting as much with the community. So 
we set about to have not just workshop-based activities, but also social and guest speaker program, and also a couple of limbs of activities that are out of our outside our shed. So um, we we work very closely with Rotary, and one of the things that we put in place. Uh, early on was to take over the management of a local community tool library that Rotary had established, uh, but we were keen to expand it and uh, take it on and, and have it as a permanent feature of the community. Rotary had put it in place um, immediately from the fire recovery, um, but we saw that as a, as a great way we could contribute immediately to the broader community outside the shed. Um, by running that tool library. So that's one thing we're doing. Um, at the same time, we saw that there was um, a repeat process where people on larger acreage blocks, and especially after the bushfire, often have um, dead trees or fallen logs on their properties. And that uh, at the same time, there was this scarcity of milled timber and that it didn't take long for us to put two and two together and work out that if we put together a group of guys and train them up on timber milling, that we'd be able to have a, a local and continuing supply of quality timber into our shed. Um, the, oh. the, the, you have a, there is a timber mill locally well uh, what, what i'm talking about is a portable timber mill and using those it's like a substantial trailer and that um you can take those out to um set it up surrounding a fallen tree and then you can slice that tree into slabs and from there mill it down into uh, any size timber you want so <clears throat> the area where we live the um, local trees are quite um, um, high regarded in terms of um, their timber. So Jarrah is one of the local woods. Mary um, is another one. A beautiful wood. And uh, Wandu. So between Jarrah, Mary and Wandu, that's our native tree of the larger scale trees. And that um, people on acreage blocks can't handle those logs. They just push them into a pile and burn them usually. So we put the word out to call for people to volunteer those logs to us and that um, suddenly we had a dozen people from our membership who were really excited and very interested in learning how to mill the, the logs, to produce the timber, and that we've quickly cemented that process uh, in terms of having an ongoing group that um, get really excited every time they can get out and mill a log. Oh, so. that, 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 that is a great recycling story, Bruce. That really is. And I, I bet it's, uh, it'll add some uh, unique beauty to your new shed too, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, our carpentry team who work in the workshop are ecstatic and the first thing they built up was a... Um, a, a natural edge or, or a, um, a, a, a single slab top dining table oh. and we um, 
we use that dining table as a um, incentive for adding new members to our group. So we um, we have got a, I think we have 18 uh, slabs set aside as a process now where our carpentry group can build up a seemingly unending supply of these beautiful dining tables and they'll provide tables that we're intending to give away to the local community and occasionally when we need it we might raffle one for um, fundraising for our shed but the main intention is that that timber goes into community projects um, for us to give away and contribute back to the community. Oh, that's a great success story. Um, now, now you, do you have uh, do you have lady members as well, Bruce? We do. Yeah. So when the group was formed last year, it was strictly blokes, and that um, there was a change in the committee in March this year, and the new committee very much championed for uh, adding females to our membership, and that um, we saw that as. Um, broadening the activities that we would be participating in um, but um, uh, and also expanding our membership base obviously um, but adding to the fun of being involved in the shed and that um, we typically run the shed whenever we host an activity most of the activities are joint male and female no different rules for anybody um but we do also run um a thursday afternoon session that's a a social catch-up just for blokes and that um uh, we think that that's a good way to carry on the uh, mixed membership to have some selected sessions that are clearly blokes only and and others that are mixed and and if the girls wanted to do their own session, then um, they're certainly welcome to do that. Well, Bruce, I, the the Gan Up Men's Shed certainly has seen some highlights in a very, very short time. I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Shed Wireless, and um, you know, more power to you. You know, it sounds it's it's a real success story, and uh, congratulations to all of you there at the Gan Up Men's Shed. Well, thanks very much, John. We are in our infancy and we've got big plans for the future, but a lot of work to do between now and then. So um, hopefully you'll be hearing a bit more from us in the next couple of years. Yes, and uh, West Australia really punching above their weight. As, uh, you know, There was four Western Australians named winners in the National Resilient Australia Award. So, uh, again, congratulations to all you guys over there. Uh, I should say you guys back west because um, we're always back That's east. It. That's it. Over east, we call you. Over east. The other uh, term, <laughs> over east. And um, Gilligan's Island TV, as a kid, taught me that it's the evil spirits that live on the other side of the island. So that's the other <laughs> reference we like to make. You guys live on the other, other side of the island. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thanks again, Bruce. Okay, John, nice talking to you. We acknowledge the Woodjuk people of the Noongar Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which the members of the Gijiganup Men's Shed meet, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present.
On the Road on the Shed Wireless. Well, we haven't spoken to Butch for a, a couple of episodes, but we are. We are back on the road and he's down there. He's on the line. How you doing, Butch? Uh, great, thanks, John. Good to be back again. Been a while, actually. Yeah. So uh, you've been up to one of your favourite haunts up there on the uh, the mid-north coast uh, around Coffs Harbour Way, Bellingen? Yeah, specifically. Uh, people ask me why I always travel north when I go on my trips this time of the year. And it's pretty basic because if you go south, um, I'm based in Sydney, and most of the species you get around Sydney you still get down south, so you're not getting to any of the newer, ex- more exotic species that I like to target. So if you go south, you just catch flathead, broom, uh, mulloway, salmon, tailor, and they're all around Sydney. You can catch them, not all the time, but they're around anyway. That's what you target. But when you head north, as soon as you get up sort of past about uh, Newcastle and head a bit further north, to what they call the mid-north coast. Uh, the water temperatures increase, um, especially the, the ocean temperatures, and that uh, means that some of the uh, more exotic species, I call them, go up into the rivers and you have a bit more fun. So when you get up that way, you start to get various trevally, which, uh, as you've caught with me up there, giant trevally, which is so much fun, and um, mm. big-eyed trevally, uh, brassy trevally, uh, two-leaf trevally, Plus, you get all the species we get here. So it's a bit of a win-win. You get up there and it's a bit warmer. The water temperature is generally warmer. And um, the fishing's generally a lot better. And uh, one, of, one of the best target fish in, in, the, in the Bellinger River uh, is jewfish, which surprised me, I must admit, when I first went up there. Yeah, we caught a few together, I know. Um, what happens up there is that the... Dewfish that we're catching up there now, there's been a study done on them and uh, one of my mates, Peter, up there, we've been actually tagging and releasing the dewfish that we catch up there recently. He's been given mm-hmm. 20 tags and the fisheries up there are particularly um, wanting to know what the dewfish population is like in that area and whether they move around or not or how big they are and how long they, you know, how fast they grow, all that sort of stuff. But we've been doing a bit of a, you know, research project for the fisheries up there. So, for example, the last time we were up there, um, we caught a 73 centimetre, a 77 centimetre, an 80 centimetre one um, in a couple of days, and we tagged all those. Um, the yep. downside of all that was we found that, fisheries found, that a lot of those um, mulloway were being re-caught within the 12 months since they were released, which tends to assume that the population of Mulloway in that system is not only relatively small but relatively static. In other words, they're not moving in out of the system uh, as much as they would like because you want to have, huh. you know, a bit of variety in, 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 the, in the sizes and, and the, um, the actual, you know, the family of Mulloway that are in there. Yeah, well, my my neighbour was a professional fisherman, and and uh, he used to he told me that um, uh, there's there's certain fish of, of every kind of fish uh, that don't play the migration game, and uh, and they're called homers. And he said, you know, yep. they 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 have their own territory, and and they stick they stick there. So maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, that that's probably true in that in that area. Um, I know they do tend to move between river rivers systems. Um, a lot of other fish like tailor do, salmon do, um, but as 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 your mate from uh, commercial fisheries, he um, he's spot on. He would have realised that certain uh, 
families or groupings of Malawi in his system are pretty constant and they're all in the same, you know, same family, so to speak, which makes mm. it a little bit more um, necessary that you look after the that, that particular uh, group of Malawi and, and only take the odd one um, and let the others go to grow up. And, and, and the main thing is to get them to breed because one of the things they don't really know yet is where and how the, the Malawi breed. So mm. without killing them, you don't know whether they're full of roe or milt. Um, so you just got to let them go and hope that they get a chance to uh, procreate. And I think the cutoff point's about 65 millimetres in length. After that, they're deemed to be mature and able to, um, you know, to, to, to procreate breed. the species. Yeah. You you found somewhere somewhere nice to uh, to camp while you were up there, didn't you? Didn't you find a new a new place to live on the river? <laughs> I live right on the river. These magnificent um, cottages um, they're called the Riverside Riverside Cottages, Bellingen, and mm-hmm. uh, they're self contained and um, air conditioning, all mod cons. They're relatively rustic to look at from outside, but they're right on the river bank and they're about five minutes drive from Bellingen itself. So. You've got the best of both worlds. You can walk down below and fish off the bank. You can walk down and launch a kayak, or you can, and you just go into town to five minute drive. So Riverside Cottages, Bellingen, I highly recommend them. Really nice people oh. too. Yeah, you, next time you come, you've got to stay. <laughs> you've also been uh, been involved with the the Probus Club in uh, what is it in the north side of Sydney somewhere, and uh, doing a bit of. Uh, Tutoring in, in the fishing area. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got a, a hardcore group of of, of uh, fishermen, and the, the Probus Club, if people don't know, is is basically um, based on um, it's a, it's a male thing. They do have a female component, but mainly the guys get together. They're all about our age. They've retired. They've got a few dollars. They're looking for stuff to do, new 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 um, hobbies and stuff. And there's a hardcore of about six or seven. And every second uh, Friday of the month, we get together and we have a bit of a fish. I give them a bit of coaching on, on uh, you know, the, the techniques and all that sort of stuff. And they're learning all the knots and stuff. And then, of course, we're joined by about another half a dozen guys for lunch. And lunch seems to be the most um, popular thing with these with these guys. So, <laughs> so we have we have a nice lunch with a couple of bottles of wine and tell tall tall tales. A lot of these guys are fished. Um, in the Northern Territory on, on charter trips, but they haven't done much fishing in around the harbour as such with light gear that, that I like to do. And as you know, that's what we do when we go mm. to Bellingen. And so I've been doing that. Um, some of the Probus guys are actually um, in, in the uh, Hornsby chapter of um, of your mob. So, you know, I, I don't know if there'll be any cross-pollination there, but all oh, right. Okay. So, well, it sounds like maybe they're uh, all budding chefs, you know. And I, I, uh, I, I must admit, I was chuckling to myself when you said that the only thing they're interested in is food, which yes. uh, sort of reminds me of somebody I know by the name of Butch. <laughs> you were pretty good on the tooth in the day. I remember you'd uh, you'd turn up at um, little filming things that I might be involved in, and uh, you were always to be seen at the catering truck. Yes, and at the Barbie. Doing a bit of work on the Barbie, yeah, that was me. <laughs> All right, Butch, thanks very much for that wrap-up of Bellingen and the Probus Club. Should be interesting. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, there might be a little bit of uh, 
cross-pollination there between the men's shed and the Probus Club. Who knows? Anyway, we'll talk to you next month. Thanks again, Butch. See you later. Bye. Got a question? Ask the doc. It's never too late to make simple changes to improve your health and quality of life. And what we eat is certainly something that is within our control. You know, what you eat today walks and talks tomorrow. How do you go with balancing what's on your plate? AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance had a realistic chat about what's on your plate with Uncle Toby's Nutrition Ambassador, Kathleen Allum. Over to you, Stuart. Thanks, JPY, and welcome everyone to another episode of Ask the Doc. I'm Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association. We're told to eat from all the food groups. Why? Can we survive eating only a couple? I'm thinking of my daily sugar hit. That's got to be a food group. It seems to be in everything. Is all the protein the same? Is coffee okay for breakfast? I'm hoping to get some answers from our our guest today, Kathleen Allen. Kathleen is a trusted specialist in nutrition and fitness, holds a degree in exercise science and a master's in nutrition, no less. She works with one of our wonderful sponsors, Uncle Toby's, as their nutrition ambassador and consults for many other major Australian food and beverage companies. Kathleen founded The Right Balance more than 20 years ago to help people maximise their wellness and fitness. Kathleen, welcome to Ask the Doc. Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit about yourself and your general approach to health and wellness. Well, I started out uh, over two decades ago now as an exercise physiologist and back then I was working back in hospitals and um, really did a lot of work with cardiac rehab and stroke patients. And then I entered, I, I kind of got out of the clinical setting and started a master's in nutrition because I really wanted to put the two together. So it's kind of like the fitness and the diet, so to speak. So I then started. They, they go do, together. Absolutely. Hand in hand, mm. I think. A- absolutely. Yeah. And um, from there, I started a private practice just focusing um, on nutrition and then I really, I mean, I loved uh, tailoring advice with people, but I also really liked speaking and getting the message out there to a wider audience. That's when I started working more in the publishing space and nutrition communications. So, um, you know, there's so much noise in this space, and I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, There's so much confusing information when it comes to diet, nutrition. So, um, yeah, I just started writing and working in the media, becoming spokesperson. So just really kind of, I'm really passionate about giving practical information. So yeah, I mean, it's been over 20 years now since I've been doing this. But um, yeah, I think combining the two, I mean, I still love the fitness and the exercise side of things, but um, I'm more practicing, you know, the more dietary approach now. Well, one goes hand in hand with the other. What you put in the in the mouth has to come out as energy or other waste and uh, and and the like. And I think, from a man's point of view, you know, I I, I get overwhelmed with the amount of information that out that is out there. You know, who who's pulling strings, who's telling me what's correct and what's not correct. And you know, you've got all these influencers out there and so on. What advice would you give a man looking to live a healthier lifestyle. Let's get your picture on this. Well, I have to say, I mean, 
men are less are less likely, I guess, to to see a doctor. I mean, you know, they they will go and see a doctor if if they need to, but it's more about that preventative approach, and and that's the space and the passion where I I, I really like to come from. I mean, diet. I want. I would like to kind of think that people can see their diet not as a restrictive thing. It's it's food is about enjoyment and and from a nutritional perspective, it's 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 a preventative measure to you know in, increase your longevity um, to get all the nutrients that you need. So it's a lot of people use that word diet in a really negative connotation. So I, first of all, I like to say it's not about restriction. So. As my point I alluded to earlier, men are less likely to see a doctor than women. I'd like to kind of, I guess, mm. um, you know, emphasise to men, you know, if, if, if you do see something wrong, I mean, you know, go get your health checks. And one thing that we can all change is what we eat. So, and it's never too late to start. So it's, it's really daunting to change habits and, and, and sometimes what you eat. I mean, we're going to talk about this in, in a great yeah. detail, but it's never too late to make better for your choices. And I think the really underlying um, thing here with making better choices is looking at what kind of behaviours and habits and, and what habits mm-hmm. um, can you tweak? Now, I like to use the word tweak because change is hard for people. And if we can tweak and make simple shifts daily and you repeat those, it's mm-hmm. it's much easier. It's not as daunting. And it's, you know, it's never too late to improve your lifestyle and your quality of life. So some of the tips that I like to give anyone in general is tweak your plate. So this doesn't mean, like I mentioned before, like food restrictions and going on a diet. I put that in inverted commas. It's, it's, and it's not so much focusing, I guess, on what you can't eat. It's giving and, and giving your diet a complete overhaul. So I, th- I think that's where people tend to go wrong. They kind of say, right, January is coming. I'm having a New Year's resolution. I'm going to drop t- 10 kgs. I'm just going to, you know, go on, f- follow the latest fad and just restrict everything. And then we all know that diets don't work long term. So it's about those simple shifts that you can do daily rather than overhauling in, you know, in its entirety. I've always uh, thought of the word diet as die if you eat it. Yeah, it's a, I've never heard that before, but I'm going to use that one. <laughs> I like and it, it, yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's like, no, that's the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. And I like your, uh, your, your tweak uh, idea. Because it's the little changes that make a big difference. Absolutely. Um, you know, if we walk that, you know, if we park the car not in front of the shopping centre entrance, but maybe a couple of uh, rows back, yeah. that little bit of extra walk will make the big difference. Yeah. It would, would, am I getting the right Absolutely. Picture? And like, and likewise with diet, I mean, if we're looking at tweaking your plate, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's all well and good to, to eat you know, I'm, I'm all for having pizzas or pies or whatever, but it's 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 all about okay. Well, then with that pie, for instance, or with that pizza, could we just maybe add a salad? Or if you're eating the same um, cereal every day, why can't we just tweak it by maybe having a different coloured fruit on top and just kind of making those sh- simple shifts every day that we could you know possibly repeat on a daily basis. It's not too overwhelming. It's not too daunting. It's just those simple, simple habits that we can do on a daily basis. So, you know, we, we might like fatty foods or um, lots of sugars, but, you know, we, we can talk about loads of ways that we can start incorporating some, you know, more fruits and vegetables in our diet. So you feel like you're still enjoying the way you eat, but you're adding something on. So you're not restricting, but you're looking at ways 
I, I like to call it positive nutrition. So it's not about saying, okay, you can't have this, but what about if you can have this or including this? I feel people respond better to that. What about volume? Now, I'm a Scotsman, and when someone puts a plate of food in in front of me, I've got to eat the lot, you know, and, and if there's food left on the table, I'll, I'll be the one sort of picking the extra roast spuds with it no one wants and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll eat more vegetables, you know, whatever's on the plate, I don't, just don't like waste, you know, am I eating too much? Well, I think, I think um, what I'm hearing is this is something our parents have drilled into us from a very young age, so that's actually a behavioural thing, but what you need to perhaps become aware of is your satiation. So when you are eating, are you mindful that you, you know, are you entrenched or in, you know, in, in your mind thinking, I've got to eat everything on my plate, but are you listening to your real hunger cues? Yeah. Are you eating really fast? Are you go, actually, that's enough. Is this just a habit that I've just got to clean the plate all the time? Like I get the food wastage scenario, but you might come at some, st- at some stage actually think, well, no, I've actually had enough. So hmm. Portions and servings are completely two different things. So, um, we, uh, you know, we looked we look at the Australian Dietary Guidelines, and they do guide us into what is a suggested serve. And you'll be surprised that a lot of people actually don't know what a serve is because we've all heard of mm. we need to eat our five serves a day of vegetables, and we need it two serves a day. But what is actually a serve? It's actually not that very little. So when we say five serves, people think, oh my god, that is a lot of food. But put that on a plate, it's actually not a lot. But when you look at portions, you might actually have more serves on your plate and your portions are going out of control. So you write about the term volume of food. Mm. That's addressing your portions and how much you're eating. But when we really dissect what's on your plate, we have to actually look at how many serves have you actually eaten. Yeah, okay. So that's an important point, I think. But going back to satiation, I think being in tune with your hunger is very important as well. I think my my wife and I uh, opted to go from large dinner plates uh, down to small cider plates uh, for our servings. Um, we still filled the plate, um, but I found myself full at the uh, mm. once I finished that smaller plate. And it, and it sort of dawned on me that, wow, you know, I was doing this with the larger plate, you know, uh, and yet I'm satisfied with this smaller amount. Was it my eyes just bigger than my belly? Um, yeah. You know, and the other thing that I think, um, if I can ask you, Kathleen, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? Mm-hmm. Give me some examples uh, of proportion size uh, and the amounts that we can eat in both of these. Is it important to, you know, eat a smaller dinner because you're just about to go to bed? Should you have a really big breakfast? Well, I think it, it everyone's an individual. So there's not one size fits all. I mean, we have people, I mean, particularly your audience, audience that might be shift workers. Um, people have, mm. you know, go to bed at different times of the day. So it really depends on what your waking hours are. So ideally mm-hmm. to eat the majority of your meals in your waking hours, but mainly towards the first part of the day. So if you are a shift worker, that's going to be completely different to someone who's not working at night time. But there's a lot of research around eating with your circadian rhythm. So again, shift workers, it's really hard for shift workers to do this. So for example, um, there's, and there's a lot of research also around intermittent fasting, which, which can be confusing. But if you really kind of dissect all the different types of researchers, 
uh, I think the best the best way is to eat according to your circadian rhythm. So getting up in the morning when you know you, you've got mm-hmm. the change of hormones, you've, you, you've dropped your melatonin and you've got a rise in serotonin and you've got you're more alert in the day, that's when your biggest consumption of breakfast should be. Now some people swear by eating not until 10 a.m. or 11 and that may work for them. But then if you're getting into the habit of then, um, having your large intake towards bedtime and you're not saying seeing perhaps a shift in kilos well that might not be working for you so the saying is eat dinner like you know eat breakfast like a king and then and dine like a pauper so that does ring true but that doesn't work for everybody so there's no rules fits all but I think the best kind of well I ha- you know I don't really like to w- use the word rule but I feel like the best way to dissect your plate is to always look for balance. And I think you've also um, mentioned again your valid point around volume and being in tune with your appetite. But if we were to look at a plate, ideally aiming for balance in every meal that you consume. So, and that is looking at half your plate of vegetables and the other quarter of protein and the other quarter of carbs. So if you kind of go by that one plus two plus three rule being one quarter carbs, two Fistful hand, a fistful size of protein, and filling your plate with vegetables. I think the aim is rather balance, and then you know addressing your volume there, and then just spreading that evenly throughout the day. I, th- I think one of my questions that I I quite often ask is is this a protein or is this a carbohydrate? Is you know um, what food group do these things um, go into? Uh, like. <laughs> I don't have a food pyramid sitting on my on my, on my fridge to refer to. Um, so, is is there an easy way to determine what's a protein and what's a what's a carb? Yeah, I think we're all pretty familiar with pro- um, the the food pyramid. It has been around for you know over two decades now. So, and it's something we all are familiar with in terms of what we learned at school. Um, the only thing the food pyramid doesn't dissect is the amount of serve. So that's why we refer to the Australian Dietary Guidelines. And I do recommend people, um, it, and they are guidelines. It's not something you need to eat this. They're, they're general guidelines, and they do go into the amount of serves that we need to eat. So, for example, um, vegetables, we're looking at, for men, we're looking at around six to six serves a day, five to six serves a day. And, you know, a serve, like I said, it's not a lot. You're looking at half a cup of cooked broccoli is one serve and half a medium potato is one served or a cup of salad is one serve. So it's not a lot of a, – a serve is not as much as you think. Then we aim for fruit, obviously just a piece of an apple or a banana and we're opting for two of those a day. And then we're looking at things like whole grains. And we we, we like to – I mean, carbs have got a bit of a hitting over the years, I think, Um that you know that they have kind of changed in terms of the how they were viewed in the pyramid because back in the 80s it was on the base of the pyramid but now we opt for more whole grain sources of carbs these are less refined sources so things like you know rolled oats rolled oats pasta brown rice and porridge and muesli they're considered like a whole grain serves and men need to opt for six um, six serves of that a day and a serve again is only one slice of bread half a cup of cooked rice and they've got two-thirds of a cup of wheat cereal or we've got um, a quarter of a cup of muesli, um, we've got a, a whole grain muesli bar. So like around six serves a day. So if we're minusing those, that particular food group, that's where all the, um, that's that's sometimes where we can go wrong because minusing that food group can mean that we 
kind of get um, hungrier quicker because these types of food have fiber in it. That's what we call whole grains because they've got more fiber. And what fiber does is keep you full. Okay. So we, we, we try to, and also give you the energy as well to, you know, um, plow the fields or go walking. So we, we, we don't want to minus carbohydrates in our diet, but we want to aim for the more whole grain sources. Right. And then we're looking at protein. So there's um, a big trend in nutrition at the moment. So protein is not just from your animal sources. I mean, we're hearing a lot in the nutrition noise about plant protein. So things like, again, um, rolled oats, um, we've got like soy, tofu when I, I know men sometimes men will shudder at the word tofu and soy <laughs> but things like nuts as well um, and legumes so these um, again these provide very valuable sources of nutrients mm -hmm. they provide a lot of fiber but they also are a plant source of protein and the difference between those types of proteins as opposed to say your meat your eggs your dairy mm -hmm. still again quite nutritious choices is they don't provide the um, a lot of saturated fat so that's something that's we need to be careful on as we get on is, is the amount of saturated fat so enjoying different types of protein whether it's from the animal source or the plant source and getting that variety of protein is important and then of course we're looking at like calcium which we get from our dairy and then we can um, go into the other food groups like healthy fats as well so olive oil and avocados and nuts and things so well there you go you've just given me a light bulb moment you know i i never knew the difference between the animal protein and the plant protein but it's those saturated fats that you're um staying away from i suppose if you uh, eat the plant-based protein rather than the um, animal protein type uh, things. Uh, that's that that makes a, a a bit more sense. I still like a steak. Um, oh, uh, there's nothing wrong with steak. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with having a steak. I think you know. Um, we've got the iron, we've got the zinc, which are really important nutrients for yeah. men, and the B vitamins in that. So if if you do, for example, um, for those who opt for a vegetarian style diet, they will be perhaps lacking we've got to consider in a, in a tailored nutrition plan if you're minusing a food group such as red meat or animal um, sources of protein there may be chance that you may not fill those nutritional gaps such as iron and um, your vitamin b's and your zinc yeah. so that they're all important nutrients so some people may need to supplement if they're just following say a vegan or vegetarian diet where their protein's coming from plant sources yeah so yeah. it's important to not rule out things um you know making sure we're eating a wide variety of food it's there's nothing wrong with having your steak but it's again it's about how can we incorporate maybe when you're making a bolognese for example maybe we could add you know some red kidney or when you're doing tacos i always like to use that example we could yeah. incorporate some kidney beans in there yeah. Yeah. and you might not even tell the difference or adding lentils with your um spaghetti bolognese so we can add some plant sources of protein um, and still have a balanced diet. Okay, so let me just flip the coin here. We've been talking about you know uh, the, the the proteins and and what have you, and the the fact that we can eat uh, both plant based proteins and uh, and uh, the the meat based proteins. But I know a lot of blokes that don't like eating vegetables at all. Um, what's the deal with vegetables? Can you survive without them? Well. 
I'm sure you probably could survive, but I'm not too sure about the quality of your life. I mean, vegetables do pack a lot of essential nutrients, like disease-fighting antioxidants and phytonutrients. That's a key word that we're using a lot now. So phyto meaning plant again, nutrients. And these are the chemicals that you, you can't really replicate in a pill or a supplement. These are live, live, they act in synergy um, that are going to be in your vegetables. So they have a lot of protective antioxidants that can protect against chronic disease. So, And like I mentioned, we do um, need to aim towards to have five serves a day. Yeah. But many, you're right about many, it's not just men, it's all of Australians aren't doing well in this department. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, don't feel bad. I think we all need to do better as a nation in eating vegetables. And, you know, there's this thing with, you know, the food, the cost of food prices and, you know, I mean, we're we're probably all feeling the pinch at the moment in terms of budget and et cetera. But there is a myth about, well, I can't exactly say the stats on it, but people tend to think that fresh produce is more expensive. Right. But, you know, you can get frozen frozen vegetables that, you know, that can last. You can get canned vegetables. you know, vegetables. There's, there's lots of culinary ways that we can incorporate these foods into our diet, these pantry staples into our diet. So, yes, fresh is best, but there's other ways that we can incorporate vegetables. So, you know, if you go to go the frozen varieties or the can, canned tomatoes, for example, I can think of many ways, many, many um, recipes I can use, um, you know, think of using canned tomatoes. So, Well, that, that helps you make a bolognese sauce, doesn't it? It will, exactly. Any <laughs> sauce, really. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just about kind of being a little bit, um, thinking ahead. I mean, I, I always tell my clients is just think of your favourite foods or think it's like maybe start looking at different ways that you can, like recipes that you can start incorporating and just bit by bit, like I mentioned, tweaking your plate, start adding things rather than minusing things, start incorporating things into your diet. But, yes, certainly as a nation we can do better with eating vegetables. Well, when you think about it, I was just driving out in the country the the other day and uh, driving past wheat fields, canola, uh, as far as the eye could see, Um, you know, what importance, uh, how important are grains uh, and things like that to our system? Yeah, whole grains, like like vegetables as well, also offer um, the fibre and also the pr- protective phytonutrients. So I mentioned the word whole, meaning it's not, it's not a refined version of the grains. So whole grains are things like uh, rolled oats, barley, brown rice, even corn's a whole grain. So these are food that are in a natural form. So they, they're going to offer you um, all the essential vitamins mm-hmm. so they're not refined. They're going to give you the fibre and we, we really know the importance of fibre in our diet. It's not just there um, to keep you regular. It's it's there to help aid digestive balance. Um, it's also there for a little bit of a, um, a weight control mechanism as well because it does help us keep a bit full, a little bit like protein. So whole grains we also need to be opting for about four to five serves of whole grains a day. So, yeah, I mean, I think whole grains play, play a very important role in our diet and also provide us with the energy we need to think and concentrate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we tend to think of um, whole grains as being carbohydrates because they are a valuable source of energy and carbohydrate in our diet. And, you know, we're, we're going to be um, looking at fitness a little bit later on. So I think if, you know, when you're sourcing your fuel, the fitness carbohydrates really do offer a valuable source of fuel okay. in our diet. So in regards to a fuel source, um, so to speak, uh, you, you've mentioned that um, a couple of times. You know, is snacking important? Should should we eat between meals? Like, is, is that okay? 
I love a good snack and I always say to people snacking can form part of a very nutritious diet and that they certainly help to fill those nutritional gaps. So for example, um, you know, in, in, the, in the media, you might hear snacks are bad, snacking can, you know, lead to overconsumption. And yes, they may, because you need to be snacking, you know, the right it, it stuff. needs to be within about, it's not so much the right stuff, it needs to be within a balanced diet, you know. Okay. So for example, I mean, like I mentioned before, there's no rule that fits every person, everyone's different. Yeah. People might, you know, may skip breakfast but then maybe opt for a more of a mid-morning snack and then have lunch and dinner. Some people might do it the other way around. But generally I like to say that snacks are there to fill nutritional gaps. I mean, certainly they're there for for flavour. There's lots of delicious snacks out there. But they're a really good opportunity to fill those nutritional gaps. So, um, I mean, there's, there's some research to suggest that a lot of us do skip lunch and grab a snack instead. So if that's you know, what you need to do. I mean, that is, again, an opportunity to count towards something that's going to contribute to your whole grain intake or your protein or fibre. Um, for example, like a glass of milk or like a, um, some yoghurt or a muesli bar can really help count towards like your fibre intake or your calcium intake, particularly for children. So choosing the nutritious snacks and choosing smarter snacks is certainly the way to go. And it also can help with maybe maintaining your weight too, because we also know that leaving too long in between eating might actually be, you know, a recipe for disaster in terms of, like you mentioned before, eating a larger dinner because you've gone several hours without eating because you've skipped meals. But if you had you had a snack, that might be the opportunity to tide you over and regulate your appetite till your next meal. So there's a lot of advantages to snacking, but um, it's just making sure that it's not an opportunity to overeat, but to fill those nutritional gaps when we need them. Or to eat the wrong stuff. I, I know there's always a cake in the in the pantry that looks too good to be you know left, and uh, yeah. so you know maybe maybe I should lean over to the uh, the muesli bar that's sitting right next door to that beautiful looking luscious cupcake um, that I want to devour anyway. You're out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really true. I yeah. think, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned is it creating an environment in your kitchen or your pantry that's conducive to um, healthy eating behaviours is, is, is one thing I always tell my clients is creating that environment that's going to help you eat better and to nudge you towards healthier lifestyle. Um, again, it's like it's not saying you can't eat this, you can't eat that. You can still have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. But let's look at ways that we can incorporate more nutritious things into your it's diet It's all about well. the proportion. So, Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. So Kathleen, you're an exercise physiologist as well. What about exercise? Oh, yeah, I love, you know, I always love advocating fitness. I mean, again, I won't probably use that word in a sense that I don't expect people to be in the gym and lifting barbells and, you know, you know, having a six pack. Fitness, it's about I like to use the word physical activity. Uh-huh. And that is to look for ways or opportunities in your day where you can move more. And that just reframes how you look at fitness, really, because it's not just about, you know, I mean, for some people, fitness might be to run the New York Marathon, but to some people, it might just be to play around with their kids in the garden without, you know, needing a day's, a week's rest after it. So (laughs) fitness means different things to different people, but it's about being physically active and and looking at it um, as movement, looking at movement as an opportunity to move more, not an inconvenience. And you mentioned the um, the example earlier of parking your car further away. Mm-hmm. By doing that, that gives you the opportunity to build up your steps. It's not inconvenience, but it's you know it's allowing you to move more, looking at incidental. It's just stretching so, yourself a little more. 
It is. But exercise, I have to say, well, movement, I have to say, is probably the most under, under-prescribed medicine. And there's a lot of research to suggest that um, exercise is, in fact, a prescription. And doctors need to be prescribing exercise a lot more. There's a host of research that suggests that exercise can improve mental outlook, mm-hmm. improve mental depression, um, obviously cardiac um, you know, measures as well, blood pressure, cholesterol, um, you know, as I mentioned, mental health. So it is a prescription that is often underprescribed. I, in, well, I believe, anyway. Moving gets things moving as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I have to say, I mean, you know, walking is probably the best exercise that anyone can do. Almost anyone can walk. And you know, um, all, all the shedders out there, if if you you know finding a buddy that you can walk and talk with, I mean, might as well do two things at once. But I have to say also. If you can incorporate some form of resistance activity, that that is an added bonus because what we want to try to do as we get older is to maintain our muscle. Mm-hmm. And we talked about protein and um, I probably didn't mention before that protein does also play a role in building our muscles. Yeah. But as we age, our muscle mass tends to decline. So what resistance training does do is help to preserve that. And muscle plays a huge role in how we metabolize foods and how we burn calories, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and I, like, again, I'm not saying go to the gym and lift some barbells. It could be as simple as doing lifting your own body weight, you know, doing some calf raises while you're waiting for the kettle to boil or doing some lunges while you're in between commercial breaks, um, doing a couple of push-ups or getting on the bench chair in the park and doing some tricep. So lifting your own body weight is just as good as lifting a barbell. So there could be ways, um, you know, we can incorporate some resistance activity as well. It's very important. I find getting out of the lounge, my body has resistance all the time so <laughs> well that's lifting your own body weight <laughs> maybe do a couple of those squats and you'll find that you'll get off that lounge a little bit easier it, it, it's it's all in doing that extra one will make it easier the next time and then do an extra two and that'll make it any even easy and and it's about building on a a a baseline you've got to start somewhere don't you absolutely yeah absolutely and you find that again it's just those simple steps every day you know you might be you know might find getting off the couch that little bit harder but if you were to do two or three of those just little squats you'll find that you'll be doing 10 in a week or two so it's just again building that base and building it up from there and getting stronger you will find that you'll be more energized as well because we can't forget those endorphins Mm -hmm. that exercise does help to release and as I mentioned that association with mental health I think it's really important more endorphins you can release by being more physically active you'll find that your mood is boosted too absolutely the other thing that pops to mind Kathleen is as you're building that strength uh, and and doing things like like squats and uh, resistance training will also help you with your balance. And I know as we get older, uh, balance is something that um, concerns a lot of us. Um, and uh, we, we really need to keep up with that physical strength uh, so as our balance actually plays into that uh, or is aided by that, should I say. Would that be right? Yeah, because the muscle, the muscle is what is the force on the bone. So the muscles are what technically move the bones. And with that constant pull Mm. of the muscle pulling on the bone, that's actually strengthening the bone itself. So as we age, the reason why balance is important um, and bone health is important is because bones will tend to brittle 
as we get on. But the more muscle and the more movement we can impose the stress onto that bone, if you say do have a fall and you, you have a little bit of off balance, well, at least you're not you're going to prevent things like fractures um, or brittle bones, you know, from falling and breaking your bones. So the muscle is going to add the force to the bone. That's going to make the bone a lot stronger. Fantastic. So, yeah. Kathleen, just as we wrap up, can you give us the bottom line? Diet and exercise, give us a, a, a snapshot to take away today. Well, there's not one size fits all, I have to say. You do you. You do what works for you. And depending on your body, your lifestyle, you'll need to find, you know, like just really what works best for you. But I think if I had to just tell you some some practical tips or some take-home messages to take would be to keep it simple. And know your triggers. I think it's like, you know, we know kind of what to eat. We, we understand the period. We understand the dietary guidelines. We know there's some good guidelines out there. Mm. But know your triggers and your, and, your, and your psychological triggers. So things like eating out of stress, eating out of boredom, um, all those things that why you're eating the way you do. Like you mentioned there, Stuart, like you eat everything off your plate. So maybe now today you're going to walk away and go, well, I've changed my plate size. So that's actually helped me a lot. So it's knowing those eating triggers are really important. Aim for small changes. I really stress that. The smaller changes lead to the bigger results in the long term. Yeah. Because you want something to be sustainable, not something you follow and then that's it. Then you're kind of back to where you started. So I think just the simple small tweaks is my big message here. Fantastic. Kathleen, thank you very much for uh, joining us on Ask the Doc today. Thank you. Have a good day. Uh, thank all the listeners for tuning in and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks very much, John. Back to you. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Ask the Doc is brought to you by the Australian Men's Shed Association partner, CRC Industries Australia. Just like their products, CRC supports the high standards of maintenance and repair of your biggest mechanical asset, your body and mind. Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! <laughs> Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. G'day, Shadows, Rick Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I've just been out the back chewing the cockies off the clothesline. The little buggers have been chewing holes in the overalls. Mind you, haven't been able to use the old hills hoist much of late with the weather the way it is. I think every time the missus does a load, she's donning the feathers and doing a little rain dance because it can be a flaming 35 degrees before she puts a peg in her panties, it's flogging down. Yeah, nah, just can't pick it anymore. I don't even know how to dress myself from day to day. I can start out with shorts, singlet and thongs and be in me thermals again by lunchtime some days. What's that famous poem? I love a sunburnt country of droughts and flood and rains. Yeah, but not all in the one bloody month. Struth, four seasons in one day. The whole world's gone bloody topsy-turvy, I tell ya. Our summers are like winters and our autumns are like spring. Next thing you know, the sky will be green and the grass will be blue. There's a lot of this talk about climate change and the old Nino and La Nina and some old, some hole in the ozone later. 
Yeah, well, I'm no scientist, but I know if the dog pisses in the same spot on the grass, the grass turns brown. And if you fart too much in bed, the sheets start to smell. Maybe. No, definitely we've been ignorant, or at least a little uneducated about what we can do to have a detrimental effect on the planet. And now, I suppose it's all coming back to bite us on the arse. I know I used to do stuff that I wouldn't blink an eyelid about, and I wouldn't dare do nowadays, plainly because I didn't know any better. But as I get older, I've seen all those documentaries that can scare the bloody pants off you. I'm starting to be a bit more aware of the environmental footprint and what we're leaving behind for our young folk, and also trying to set some good examples for the grandkids. I don't know if it's all reversible. Maybe the damage is already done. But we don't know unless we try, right, Shedders? I know that recycling me bottles and cans that there seem to be quite a few of each week, and backing off on the fly spray and holding back the odd fart isn't going to change the state of affairs in an instant or in a dramatic way, but every little bit helps, said the boys who piddled in the ocean. Now, I'm no ignoramus, and I'm not one of them hippie types that wants to shut down industry altogether. That's just ludicrous. They'd be the first to complain when they can't brew their lattes. We've got to take it step by step. I mean, they reckon 40% of methane produced comes from cows. What are they going to do? Put corks in their backsides? Nah, Shedders, all we've got to do is be a little bit more responsible where we can. I reckon us men's sheds are already putting a good dip in it anyway with the restoration and recycling we do down there already. Us Shedders can fix anything. Surely a little hole in the sky can't be beyond us. Anyway, Shedders, summer's just around the corner. Oh, I better go polish me ski boots. Catch you, Shedders. See you next time. Bye. Well... What an action-packed episode. We've got one more for the year, and I'm looking for inspiration for some great summer barbecue recipes. Drop me an email to theshedwireless at menshed.net, and we might cover that next episode. Remember to share your favourite podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to subscribe if you can, or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash theshedwireless. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. It don't matter if you work with wood Or fabricating metal is the thing you understood Whatever is your game, everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald In the shed it's welcome